Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of March 30th, 2020. We are back after a brief hiatus, as most of the world has halted in place, or it at least feels like it, as more and more states and metro areas have implemented stay-at-home orders. President Donald Trump has extended federal levels until April 30th. I'm I'm sure for those that are listening right now, you might be like me and a bit stir-crazy staying at home, self-quarantine. Unfortunately, it sounds like we have a ways to go. So hopefully we can distract you on this episode from social distancing and and self-quarantine life by recapping the latest on what's happening with Major League Baseball. The league has come to an agreement for the 2020 season, which will break down the specifics later in the show and how it impacts the league and the White Sox. We'll also have Emily Walden, national prospect writer for The Athletic, on the show. She'll join us later to share on how the coronavirus impact is on the minor leagues and minor leaguers. She's also leading up efforts to help support the minor leaguers. So if you're interested in lending a hand, Emily will share later in the show on how you can help those minor leaguers. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in PO Sox. So let's get into the specifics of the new agreement. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. How are you holding up these days? I've been preoccupied. I just moved to Nashville, and so I'm still gradually unpacking and getting stuff set up and, you know, like setting up the podcast rig and everything like that. So, so far, it hasn't really sunk in. Um, You know, it's not as exciting as I hoped to move to Nashville would be, but um, at least there are some nice, you know, parks and trails to get out, get some fresh air without uh, being in crowds and, and, you know, being responsible about keeping distance and everything like that. So I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, they closed those in Chicago. Yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah. There there are some parks like that in, in Nashville, but, uh, you know, we just go a bit further outside the city and it's not so bad. But yeah, if I saw a full parking lot and 
people crowding the walks, I would just turn around and leave. Yeah. Well, my question to you was going to be, how was moving during all this? Were the, em- were the highways empty on your way from upstate New York to Nashville? Yeah, well, like the entire moving process kind of felt like uh, Indiana Jones uh, and uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when he's out racing the boulder. Okay. <laughs> um, just basically just trying like to, you know, hoping that everything you know, holds together as you're just running and, and, and trying to beat this deadline and and, and, and hope that uh, yeah, no uh, no issues come from above that stop the moving industry and its tracks and hit a couple snags in terms of, you know, the uh, you know contractors to remove junk and, and it was harder to find places to donate stuff and so forth but i was able to get out so that was a relief and once i got that done like driving from uh, albany to nashville was pretty much easy just a lot of trucks on the road um you know minor you know, i wouldn't even call it congestion just uh you know, see a bit more cars around the cities like you know and you know skirting past cleveland columbus and cincinnati and so forth but just you know by and large could hit cruise control and, and didn't really have to hit the brakes at all so that was one benefit i think of moving during the situation otherwise would not recommend it uh, <laughs> and uh uh yeah i'm just glad that that part's over and now we'll see if my house actually gets to closing well i hope so for your sake yeah me too yeah that'd be <laughs> that would be great uh you'll definitely have to keep us in the know on that process i can't imagine trying to sell a house right now but i'm hoping for the best jim but yeah for me in chicago right now the only time i really go outside is take Frankie on walks and uh, make my bi-weekly trip to the grocery store to stock up on supplies. Other than that, it is definitely staying indoors. Lots of MLB The Show. For those that follow me on Twitter, you see a lot of video game highlights because it's uh, filling the baseball need that I have right now. Lots of cycling? Lots of cycling. Lots of, lots of time on the Peloton watching a lot of episodes as far as TV on my smartphone while I am cycling. So I get through a couple episodes of a show and I bike 12 miles. So that helps, but yeah, I, I can maybe tolerate this another month and that sounds crazy. But if this continues into may, I I will lose my mind, Jim, and you will deal with a psycho person on this podcast. And that's different. How, Oh, but anyways, let's, let's let's discuss other things than being stuck at our houses right now. Let's talk about the specifics of the new agreement between Major League Baseball and the Players Association. And the most pressing topic that needs to be addressed first is what are the parameters for baseball to come back? And thanks to ESPN's Jeff Passan, we have very good insight on what that is. Baseball games will come back under the following circumstances. No government bans on mass gatherings that would prevent teams from playing in their home stadiums. No travel restrictions in the United States or Canada. The determination after talking with health experts and the union that playing does not expose other players, staff, or fans to health risks. Back to point one. Right now, the CDC, again, is recommending no public gatherings of more than 50 people. If that limit is increased or wiped away, Major League Baseball could return with the option of not having fans in attendance and also might play games at neutral sites, 
Because again, 26 players on each team, plus coaches, trainers, clubhouse staff, umpires, TV, radio crew, and beat reporters. And you got a crowd of 200 people before any fans come through the gates. So there is still the possibility that they could play games without fans and just televise the games, which is better than nothing. But Jim, under these three requirements and what we are learning on a daily basis of this virus spread, how confident are you that baseball will come back in 2020? I'm not particularly confident. I think, uh, yeah, when when you look at the just how big the country is and how this is hitting different parts of the country and uh, at different speeds and, and, you know, it's basically like a slow rollout outward in. So now you're, you know, you know, New York and California and Washington were getting the brunt of it early, but now it's spreading inwards and Detroit's having issues, Milwaukee and New Orleans and just all these cities uh, that were not in, in the first wave. They're getting it. Texas, I think, is having some issues now. So uh, nobody's going to be on one timeline to where uh, you can feel great about like lifting travel ban in one area, but then the, the you know, the, tra- the I guess the urge or the the need to not travel to certain places will be greater than ever was before so that's why i have a hard time figuring out like how this would take place across the country really the only way i can kind of figure is if they turn you know the arizona and and, uh, or the the cactus league and grapefruit league sites into a modified american and national league for a schedule maybe even go like 16 you know even team 16 and 14 just to get uh you know I guess remove the need for flights to travel between games and maybe can contain it between teams only being in certain clubhouses and only needing buses to travel and really limiting the people they interact with. Uh, but even then, you know, by the time they start getting that in gear, maybe Arizona and Florida, the hot spots, and they can't do that. So even then Florida's got rain too. So that would be really difficult to pull off there. So it becomes difficult to imagine just everything lining up on one timetable to where, they can actually pull this off in any kind of uh, safe and uh, sensible manner. Yeah, because the no travel restrictions in the United States or Canada, that's going to be tough because from what I understand, Canada has mostly closed its border. Mm-hmm. And there is no timetable when that border is going to be opened. So now you're relying on another country's government to play a factor, right? Because you have the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think with Point three, the determination after talking with health experts that playing does not expose players, staff, or fans to health risks. Ah, that number three point is really tricky because we saw in the NBA that one player not only spreads it to his teammates and Rudy Gobert, but every team that played against the Utah Jazz, all of a sudden they were starting uh, to show symptoms of the coronavirus and being tested positive for having the coronavirus. So you could have one player that has the coronavirus not knowing they have it. Mm-hmm. And then if they play a week's worth of games, at guaranteed Ray Field Gym. You, you have two opponents that you play that week and then they go else and they play. And that's, that's where things could get really risky uh, as far as with this virus and Major League Baseball. Those are the two that I see on on being the biggest issues if baseball does come back. The the no government bans on mass gatherings. I think if the CDC gave the blessing that when eventually things do calm down and you can have larger gatherings, but if they recommend on the flip side, professional stadiums don't have 30,000 plus people all together, 
I could see where baseball does play in empty stadiums to just televise the games because that's better than nothing. Uh, the premiership is already in England is talking about creating these domes to have these games, to have their games come back mm-hmm. and be government uh, supported. So it'll be interesting to see on how that works. That may give baseball the idea. But Jim, I, I'm kind of with you right now. I am also doubtful that baseball does come back, and it is because points two and three, the, the no travel restrictions, and I don't know how you can assure all players and teams that this virus will not continue to spread, even in the summer. I just think that's, that's a tough sell right now for any industry, even jobs. I, my other job, I work in the merchandise smart and I got an email that there have been people that have tested positive, uh, that were in my office. Uh, so I will not be going back and they have to do a deep clean and everything now, but there have been people that have been exposed. Yeah. I I think when it comes to Maybe later in the summer, if there is a, a, a seasonality to it and they figure out some kind of effective way to treat it to where, uh, you know, it's not a two week battle, but maybe they can at least cut down the duration of it uh, based on what they have found to be the most common uh, symptoms and, and the way it spreads and plan of attack. But that seems not particularly likely. So I'm I'm, I'm inclined to be pessimistic about it. And really, when I was reading uh, the explainer by passing and then Kylie McDaniel that I just read it for what would apply for uh, the entire season or regardless of whether they play any games, then go from there. All right. So let's look at the flip side. Let's try to be optimistic. Let's say there is a medical miracle that does happen. There's some type of vaccine or some type of medication that helps calm this virus spread down. And to the point that I don't want to say kills it because viruses come and go um but it allows us to return to normal life if baseball does return it sounds like the players association wants to play as many games as possible why because their 2020 paycheck will be prorated based on the amount of games played so they want to play more games so they get more of their money that they signed for Uh, so both sides sound like they are comfortable having double headers and i bring that point up because if baseball does return jim what is the amount of games that should be played as the season could also extend it to November to make it worthwhile for all involved, both the league and the players? What's the least amount of games that you would like to see played? I would say if they're going to play like a regular season or at least form the traditional play a certain amount of games to determine postseason teams and then have a traditional October with you know wild two wild card teams three division winners and so forth and I would say like 81 games half season would be enough to make that worth it if they can only play like two months worth I would say go nuts and have like some kind of crazy tournament just to uh yeah I guess loosely determine seeds and go for it. maybe even call it a world series or something like that maybe just a a different kind of um hierarchy or whatever you want to call it, like a bracket type thing, uh, just to, you know, just because you're not going to have anything, you know, representing a real season at that point, but, you know, players do want to get paid. Teams want to make money, uh, you know, not only just to make money, but to pay their own employees because, uh, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, just the, the, the breadth of a front office, you have not only the executives and so forth, but you have people in the ticket office and you have people in marketing and, and, uh, 
and just the you know typical supply chain, everything like that, where you want to have those people get paid and supported. So I think you know there is incentive, even if they can only like squeeze in 40 games, do that somehow, even if they don't call it a World Series or whatever. But uh, I think uh, that's kind of what I'm looking at is like if they can't play like say more than two solid months, it's still worth playing those games, but maybe just have some kind of crazy King of the Hill scenario where they just uh, like, maybe like a, a Royal Rumble of sorts where they just have all these teams going for it. All these teams have the equal chance of winning the world series. And then they just bracket themselves out into uh, B event and C event and D event, uh, you know, down to H event or whatever until, you know, certain teams play a certain amount of games guaranteed and just uh, eventually a, quote-unquote winner is or champion is declared even if it's not like a typical world series type event that's interesting as far as that tournament it'd be it would be interesting i i kind of like it a little chaotic and i, I like chaos i, I do want to mention that in the original 2020 schedule game 81 for the white Sox, so the halfway point of the season would have been june 24th at home against the detroit tigers so is that a good date to aim for, Jim, that the league returns by June 24th so you you could still have a chance to get 81 games in? Oh, I think, yeah, I'm guessing it would be probably 80 or 82 just so you get an even amount of uh, home and road games. But if, if they're willing to play double headers and they're willing to expand rosters to 29, at least as a bridge from what would be spring training, then you don't have to worry about injuries so much. I, you know, I thought when they were trying to pile on these double headers and cut off off days and get rid of the all-star break and have no all-star game, that really that just runs the risk of a whole bunch of um, underprepared or um, ill-prepared pitchers you know, getting in trouble and, and, and getting hurt and you just have this cavalcade of injuries and, and, and just uh, t- yeah, complete chaos of rosters, even more so than you might expect for a shortened season. But if they're, they're able to have pitchers only go like four innings if they need to and, and and be able to spread the workload out among both uh, pitchers and position players. Maybe you can get like a, a season that starts in July, maybe bleeds into mid-October, have a shortened, you know, maybe have a, um, you know, a shortened postseason to where you don't have five teams in, but maybe only three because, um, you know, more teams will have an, a chance at the um, division title based on, um, just a shorter season, you know, it increases the odds of any team making the postseason when you have a smaller sample. So maybe you just get rid of that opening round um, of of wild card games and and divisional series rounds. Go to a you know classic ALCS NLCS World Series type scenario to where you can start in mid October and be done in a reasonable time. So if you start the season on July first, let's say that's the new opening day. Again, we're trying to be optimistic. You have thirteen. Saturdays to work with in July, August, and September. If you have double headers on those Saturdays, that's 26 games out of your 82. So you would need to figure out scheduling the other 56 games during those three months. I think that is attainable as far as coming up with the schedule. There's not many off days. So, I mean, the Players Association, be careful what you wish for. Uh, yeah, there wouldn't be a lot of off days whatsoever. Uh, and that's why I think they're saying that the season would extend into October. And there is the thought of neutral site postseason games in the World Series. And I don't know about you, but let's say, again, the White the White Sox of Major League Baseball, there is baseball this season. 
And let's say if the White Sox make the postseason, I don't think it'd be very fun to watch playoff games in November in Chicago (laughs) uh, as the weather is very unpredictable. I mean, we just had a blizzard this past Halloween and kids didn't even go trick-or-treating at all. Uh, So again, the weather's just too unpredictable in November for baseball in Chicago. So if the White Sox did make the postseason and remaining positive in 2020, where do you think it would make sense for them and the other Midwest teams to play their neutral site playoff games? Well, you could have Miller Park, you know, if you want to keep it, you know, regional because, you know, every every region has a, if you want to minimize travel and so forth to make it feasible uh, for, you know, a variety of things, you know, any of the dome stadiums like Miller Park or, uh, you know, if you're looking at, say, the West Coast, you can you know, expand it there to, uh, you know, not just domes, but like, say, well, Dodger Stadium or or Petco or just where you can count the weather, um, you know, San Francisco, uh, maybe Texas's new park if they're in decent shape. You know, you can have a whole bunch of, uh, I guess, regional sites that either are domes or whatever, especially since, you know, if you're going to be playing with nobody in the stands, which I imagine if we're talking about this as being possible, they still don't have a mass gathering. It really isn't, you know, I think a neutral site really doesn't make a difference or, 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 you know, lack of home field advantage, you know, not having the home crowd there, not having the postseason revenues for all teams. That can be really, really a, a classic postseason revenue type situation anyway for them. So uh, I, I, it does make sense to have basically every um, series at a neutral site. I think at that point, just to make sure you get the games in that you don't risk any injuries or cancellations or anything that really, you know, lengthens the season and travel any more than it has to. I think if, if they're trying to get this, you know, whatever season we're talking about in, they really want to make it as compact as possible. So I think that probably means making it as many neutral sites as possible just to, uh, you know, keep the season nice and uh, on schedule to avoid any, I guess, complications that might arise if we're talking about like seasonality of the uh, virus. Do you like the idea of a neutral site World Series, not just for this year, but moving forward? No. Yeah, I, I think the uh, home field is what makes playoff games interesting. Um, you know, I think in all sports, uh, not, you know, the Super Bowl is kind of bland in that regard because you're not really looking at the crowd. You're hearing crowd noise, but it's not, you know, it's not a typical crowd that shows up there. It's more just uh, people who are connected or, you know, you have some super fans and, and so forth, but it's not, you know, it's, it's people who are there for the spectacle. And when you had seven games with no, yeah, and, and that's just one game too. So you can make it a huge spectacle, the huge halftime show and everything. But if you have like a seven game series where the, the crowd is half and half, or maybe it's just a third, 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 like third road team, third home team, third people local. who are just there to, yeah, either local or wealthy and just can, you know, a whole third of Marlins men just to, <laughs> uh, you know, see and be seen. Um, and maybe it's like Fox celebrities of, of their you know, Thursday night lineup or there as well. Uh, it, it just strikes me as, um, yeah, rather antiseptic, I think. Um, you can do it for the Super Bowl because football is a national sport played one day a week and everybody knows, or at least, you know, football fans and a lot of either non-football fans know the stars of certain teams. When you have like, you know, hockey and baseball and basketball, maybe basketball is a, is a star sport, but hockey and, uh, you know, hockey and baseball, those are local, um, concerns. And so when you have the, you know, uh, I think if you have a series going five games, seven games, seven games, um, it makes it harder to make it a 
um, you know, a big deal if you don't have the crowd there to react or uh, you, know, you don't have the, the crowd going nuts or silenced by uh, a development. I think that, that that makes the drama worthwhile, and especially for when you have the good crowds like Oakland or you know, the White Sox or you know, when the Cubs were on the verge of winning. It's just you know, having those local stories uh, and, and, uh, you know, say Cleveland, if Cleveland gets back, you know, having that drought, that drought is so different when you don't have home fans there. Uh, you know, that, that whole mm-hmm. storyline is different when you don't have a crowd full of home fans there biting their nails or hugging each other or what have you. So, uh, yeah, I understand why baseball might want it, especially like say if they want to expand the postseason and have it go into November freely, but, uh, at that point you're bleeding into football season and everything else to where, um, they're just asking for more and more conflicts that drive down ratings and uh, make people wring their hands over is baseball dying, <laughs> which I think is the whole uh, you know, argument that baseball invites upon itself and makes baseball less popular as a result. I bring this up because if there is a season and there's a neutral site World Series, let's, play, let's say played at Dodger Stadium, if it is a hit, as in those games are well attended, Fans from both teams flock to Los Angeles. I could just see this idea grow in the commissioner's office, thinking, why don't we have it at neutral sites or sites that people want to play baseball games in? That, that's one of my concerns. I'm with you, Jim. I like the environment. You know, even when the Yankees play World Series games at the Bronx. And how the you know the opposing team has that difficult challenge of overcoming that crowd, uh, and yeah, I just I, I think I still like it to go back and forth between the two ballparks. Uh, but if you're gonna have postseason games in November, yeah, you're gonna have a lot of delays in Chicago if the White Sox or let's say even the Cubs make it that far. I think they would have no choice but to play those games at Miller Park. And <laughs> what happens if the Brewers are in the playoffs? Then you have that, you know, whole situation as far as scheduling conflicts go. Um, but that's the thought as far as the neutral site postseason games. And again, I bring that topic up because if Major League Baseball has a season and they do this for the World Series and it is a big hit because fans do flock the warm weather site, I do wonder if baseball will seriously consider doing something like that for the World Series moving forward. Now, while we don't know the amount of games to be played in 2020, we do have clarity on service time. Ah, yes. One of our favorite topics on this podcast. Good old service time. If players accrued a full year of service time in 2019, if there are no games played in 2020, they will also get a full year of service time in 2020. Meaning, Mookie Betts will enter free agency without playing a game for the Los Angeles Dodgers if no games are played in 2020. I do think this agreement is fair, Jim, Mm -hmm. because Mookie Betts, as a free agent next year, gets more money and more years than if he has to wait into 2021. How do you think this impacts the White Sox? Well, the White Sox, I think, are generally pretty well insulated from it. I wrote about it uh, a few days ago on Sox Machine, but 
Uh, when you look at free agency, you have some guys with club options like uh, you know Edwin Encarnacion, Kelvin Herrera, Gio Gonzalez. But when it comes to like impending free agents, really you're looking at like James McCann and Alex Colomay are the biggest ones who would reach free agency without playing another game for the White Sox. And you know the, those guys contribute. Uh, you know, they contributed last year and they figure to be um, you know solid presences on the. 2020 White Sox, if they play any games, you know, both can be, uh, you know, both are needed uh, for depth and for, you know, high leverage appearances. And so the White Sox would need to replace them, but they're not, you know, when you look at McCann, like McCann might benefit from that just because, you know, he goes into free agency then as somebody whose last season or most recent season was an all-star season where he proved that he could shoulder uh, a starter's workload and, you know, post above average numbers and you know maybe the framing he still would need to show that he could do and prove he's not a liability but you know everything else uh he looks like uh, you know, coming off uh, career bests and and the reputation intact so the signing of Yasmani Grandal would not really affect him the way that he feared um same thing with Kalame like if Kalame regresses you know and he looked like he was on the verge of it he has a year or two where he can sidestep it and teams will have to uh, you know, wager their best guess onto whether you know the the contact and the uh, his reliance on the cutter and you know, without elite up velocity, whether that's going to come back and bite him in a year. He's he's kind of a mystery man in that regard. So maybe his market isn't that uh, robust. Or maybe when you look at how well he pitched for the White Sox in save situations, teams look past um, you know maybe some of the peripheral issues and say like, yeah, he's a guy we want in our bullpen. So when it comes to those situations, I can see. Um, them benefiting, but the White Sox can let them walk. I think you know, they're not looking to sign them long-term, especially behind the plate. So uh, it's not really that big of a deal. And then you look at the veterans who, you know, like C-Sheck is another one who's on a one-year club option. Uh, you know, the White Sox can reevaluate their internal arms, um, reevaluate, uh, like say the, the, the free agent market and see if, uh, you know, kind of with say like C-Sheck, you know, they can let them go and say like, well, let's see if we can find somebody better for that, Steve Ciszek, uh type hole that we uh, plugged him in with this time around. So uh, the White Sox can basically hit the reset button on a few of their acquisitions when it comes to DH and uh, reliever, and maybe they come back to him. But uh, otherwise, when you look at the extensions they signed, I think the one one that's tough to evaluate, or I'd, I'd wonder if there's a situation for a guy like Michael Kopech, who did technically accrue a year of service time, but that's because he was injured. And I wonder if there's a case where they had to be on the active roster to be, uh, you know, get that, get Uh those, uh, uh, get that service time. That would seem like an important, uh, you know, thing to consider for teams and players because, uh, you know, that's a case where I can see, you know, it's just the luck of the draw, a bad break for the team, a good break for Michael Kopech that he got surgery and, 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 you know, gained a year of service time without having to do anything. But, when it comes to teams and, and I guess the fairness thing, I can see an argument being made that the player actually had to prove he was in full working order the previous season in order to accrue another year of service time without uh, you know actually playing a game. So that's one thing I'm curious about, whether uh, that's a situation that's not all that common to where had to be spelled out in the explainer that uh, Passon and McDaniel wrote, but I can see uh, and that's something I, I think that would be important to clarify. Yeah, we get a lot of P.O. Sox questions in regards to Michael Kopech's status with the new agreement. Uh, the one player, I don't, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but Lucas Giolito and mm-hmm. him with arbitration. 
because the White Sox have signed these contract extensions with Yohan Makata and Luis Robert and Aaron Bummer. Primary focus is avoid having to go to arbitration with these guys and also lock them up to give them financial security, but also give the team a more stable core of knowing players are going to be available. Lucas Giolito missed out on that opportunity for any type of contract extension. And I wonder if there is no 2020 season on how his arbitration standing will be when baseball returns in 2021 under this situation after he did put pitch a full year in 2019. Yeah. And one God awful season and one excellent season. I don't exactly know how you compensate that without a tiebreaker. Right. But he becomes a lot more expensive for the White Sox, rather than just paying him $580,000 in which they were planning to do in 2020. The next time he takes the mound, he'd be a lot more expensive for the White Sox. Yeah, I guess the one thing there is that, you know, with the way the White Sox built the roster and how they introduced prospects on a timetable where like Luis Robert and Nick Madrigal, they're going to be making their debuts in 2020 instead of, well, theoretically, uh, 2020, maybe 2021 now, instead of uh, 2019 that they were writing, I wouldn't say writing off 2020 as a, you know, just a flyer of a season, but really looking at 2021 as the year where they're really seriously pushing for it and, uh, but in that case, you know, Giolito was going to be more expensive anyway. So I don't see that making a huge difference on their long-term plans. It just, uh, based on the way they spent and uh, spent a lot, but still ended up under the median MLB payroll. I don't think they maximized Giolito's last, you know, cheap season or really cheap season uh, the way that they might have in, like, say, the Chris Hale era or the Jose Quintana era. Good points, Jim. Good points. Well, Jim will come back later in the show as we'll answer your guys' questions in P.O. Socks. But coming up next, it's our guest, Emily Walden of The Athletic, who shares her insight of how the coronavirus is impacting the minor leagues next on the Sox Machine Podcast. At Acuity Insurance, we believe the things you do for your business every day are nothing short of heroic. And you deserve someone equally heroic to protect them like the breaking ground on new construction things, the every box and barcode matters things, and the driving the family business forward things. We put our all into covering your business so you can focus on the things you love most. That's the power of heart. Acuity Insurance, wholeheartedly for you. We already discussed the impact of COVID-19 for Major League Baseball, the Players Association, and the upcoming draft. But the minor leaguers are in perhaps the toughest spot. They are required to stay in shape and be ready to play, but they won't be paid for it. The league is advancing them some money until minor league baseball opening day, which was April 8th. But what happens after April 8th? What are minor leaguers going to do as they're still not going to be able to play games, but they still need to be ready to play games in 2020 just in case, and they have to live a daily life not receiving a paycheck from any of the baseball teams. Well, to help draw more attention to this issue is one of the best prospect writers in the game and leading advocates for all minor leaguers. Joining us now on the Sox Machine podcast is national prospect writer for The Athletic. It's Emily Walden. And hello, Emily. Thanks for joining us on the Sox Machine podcast. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. So our listeners have been asking what I think are good questions when it comes to the minor leaguers and the current impact concerning the coronavirus. For the players that you know, Emily, what are they doing right now while the league is shut down? Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head earlier in saying that they're aware of the fact that they have to be ready 
And so it's really about a personal routine for a lot of them. They're trying to come up with their own sense of normality, which none of us really know what that is at the current time, no matter where you are around the world. But for a lot of these guys, they understand what's at risk. Um, A lot of these players could be on the verge of having their careers severely impacted in some cases with this lost playing time and understanding the fact that they're just waiting for a phone call, more or less, to be able to be ready to report either to the spring training facility or to their respective affiliates, depending on what their organizations decide. It's stressful for a lot of them. Some of them have been able to set up some at-home style workouts. Other ones are trying to get to parks nearby that are still accessible, depending on what the state's rules have been put in place for. So it's, it's tough. It's requiring a lot of creativity and a lot of stress for definitely everyone involved. Now, you wrote one of my favorite pieces last year about the daily struggle of minor leaguers. Is coronavirus compounding the problems they are facing, or is this just the daily life that they have gotten used to barely scraping by as a professional athlete? Honestly, I would say yes on both counts. Um, The fact that the reality of their everyday life is already stressful as it is on the pay scale, depending on the level you've been assigned to has is going to play a big impact in how you live your life, especially if you're married and have kids. And it just, as we all know, drives the expenses a lot higher. Um, But with the virus situation, it's putting all of their paychecks on hold. Um, And like you mentioned earlier, clubs are advancing the spring training allowances That was confirmed by the league. Um, Some teams have tried to tack on a bit extra um, just because they do understand the severity of the situation. And then obviously we've seen really, really awesome gestures by guys like Adam Wainwright with the Cardinals. Um, He and his wife, Jenny, donated $250,000 to Cardinals minor leaguers um, to go towards their everyday expenses. So I think everyone is understanding how, how severe this is and what's at risk and definitely see some people trying to step up and help out where they're able to. In what ways are teams, because I, I don't know, what is the daily allowance for minor leaguers? Is that $100 a day? It varies by organization. Um, it can run anywhere from 15 to $30 per day. Um, and it's more or less the, the meal money or per diem, as some people call it. Okay. So when they say allowances, the reason why that varies is because while some teams may give a bit less towards meal money, they may provide a bit extra in other ways. Some teams have hotels available at spring training where they'll let the players stay. Other teams try and help out in other ways. So I think that's the best way to explain that variance. But generally, it, it averages out to about 15 to 30 per day. That's not a lot of money. And on social media, you have been driving an effort to assist minor leaguers looking for job opportunities or any additional financial help. Can you provide some more insight on what those efforts are and how other fans can help? Yeah, I started working with um, some of my blogger friends um, over at the Tigers Minor League Report, where they jumped in to collaborate with me to start up this job board through a website. Um, the requests and the offers to help came through so quickly, I very much realized, okay, I can't handle this by myself. So got those guys involved. Um, They've been just phenomenal at stepping up to kind of help shoulder that. I'm still filtering some requests um, to the best of my ability. And it's been incredible just to see the way fans and employers have stepped up, showing that they understand the severity of this for all these guys. 
So really watching everybody come together in the baseball community has been amazing to watch. We have focused so much of our energy asking if Major League Baseball will be back. But I have a feeling not playing games has a greater financial impact on the minor league clubs. Emily, do you believe that minor league baseball will return in 2020? And if yes, how does that season look? Because most minor league seasons are split in a first and second half and the seasons end in early September. Correct. And right now, I am trying very hard to believe we will see baseball. Um, The things that I've been hearing from organization contacts and scouts, the belief right now is likely a post-All-Star break um, type start. Um, It's looking to be probably June or July um, is is what I've been hearing. Again, that's not anything official or confirmed. Um, I don't think anybody has any knowledge of anything confirmed at this point, just because so much is still up in the air right now. Um, But that's been the general feel for most contacts that they're seeing the trend towards a summer start if the organizations decide to go that route. So as of right now, probably summer. And as we all know, next season could be the end for multiple minor league affiliates. So definitely a lot of factors in play. We have the new CBA that's set to renew next year. So a lot of stuff and a lot of people's jobs are hanging in the balance right now. Yeah, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball, yeah, their agreement comes to an end after the 2020 season, uh, which I'm sure definitely compounds problems. And Major League Baseball wanted to eliminate some minor league affiliates. But let's go with the worst case scenario. I know a lot of people don't want to think no baseball in 2020, but do you think we could lose additional minor league affiliates if the financial impact of missing so many games does happen in 2020? You know, as of right now, I think it's probably going to be what the commissioner has put out on the table, which would be the total of 42 teams um, that would be eliminated. Uh, based on the, the table that he's laid out, it could eliminate leagues altogether. Um, I know a lot of the lower level Rookie teams, the short season teams, all the way up to some double A affiliates have been put on that list. So as of right now, it's going to be really hard to tell what impact it has, I think, until they decide if baseball will be played. And if baseball is not played this year, um, the unfortunate side, like you said, a lot of careers could come to an end and a lot of jobs could come to an end as well. So we're all trying to stay positive. I know this is probably not the most positive episode that you've had so far, but um, I think we're all just trying to keep each other up around the baseball community, and we're we're realizing how much this game really means to so many people. Well, this episode's more positive than when Adam LaRoche retired and the fallout from Chris Sale cutting up uniforms. (laughs) Uh, So I think we're doing okay. We're We're more positive than those episodes. But in your in your latest article on the athletic, Emily, you quoted one high A player of an American League team suggesting that maybe minor leaguers need to have a union. Now, I feel that the Major League Baseball Players Association uh, should represent all players involved with Major League Baseball operations, which would include minor leaguers. Emily, what do you think will help minor leaguers the most in helping their current work environment? Because as you mentioned, the daily allowance, like 15 to $30 a day, our listeners hearing that that live in the city of Chicago will say, there's no way they could live in Chicago 
uh, 15 to $30 a day. That is just not enough money. And a lot of fans can't wrap their heads around the fact that minor leaguers are ranging from a yearly pay of anywhere from like eight to $14,000 across the levels. How do you think, what do you think needs to happen for the minor leaguers to help improve the current work environment? Yeah, realistically, I think that it does come down to the importance of having a union. Um, but the the biggest complication just that's come out of the conversations that I've had with people around the league, because of the different types of negotiations that go on contract-wise um, with local players, with international players, um, just with so many different facets to how the minors are played out, I think it actually works against the chances of having that type of union. Um, I'm not saying it's not impossible. I would love to say it was possible because I think that really would make a world of difference for the players and families. But because of the complexities of what goes on behind the scenes, um, I I honestly just think that it's a lot more challenging than many people realize. Um, But realistically, either the Players Association would need to expand to include them or there would have to be some sort of a shift because as of right now, the minor league players really have no representation when it comes to guys at the table. And that's what's severely needed right now for these things to improve. How many players do you think would have to retire because of what has taken place? And the fact that they've always struggled financially and if they're not playing games in 2020, you know, they're going to lose that opportunity to play in front of, you know, instructors and additional internal scouts and even the ability. I know Rick Hahn for the White Sox always makes a stop at the minor league affiliates every single season to get a chance to see these guys with his own eyes in person. Do you think that this will, uh, not just a financial standpoint, but for being on the playing field, greatly impact the minor leaguers that you have been speaking with and their ability to continue their baseball careers? It absolutely will. I was speaking with a pro scout actually yesterday about this, and he said another thing a lot of fans don't think about is how many careers will end because of this. Um, Anywhere from maybe lifetime minor league players who they've been around for how many years and they're just kind of at a max point. And you also have free agents who realistically don't have a resume going into next year without stats. Um, I've had a few free agents reach out to me and express that concern as well. So it's, it's really a tedious tipping point for a lot of people in the game. You're probably going to see some scouts retire because of the fact that they're coming to the end of their careers and they're going, you know what? I think this is it. And it's, it's, just, it's a very, very dark time for not only baseball, but sports in general. You're going to see a lot of other sports impacted in a really big way. Obviously, our focus is on baseball at all levels, but it's, it's hitting home for sports. It's hitting home for businesses across the world. And I think really our biggest hope is just to continue keeping the positive and trying to encourage where we can. And I think that was my most favorite aspect of the job project we started on the minor league side is that you kind of started to see some hope and some excitement that, hey, maybe we can pull through this. So I think it's just a matter of sticking together as a community, as a baseball community, and just trying to keep each other going right now. And finally, you know the Detroit Tiger system very well. For Tiger fans, 
They were excited for this upcoming draft because they have the number one pick. It's a great draft class. They have a lot of top picks, especially in the top 50. We discussed and I shared my viewpoints that I really do not like the changes they made to this year's Major League Baseball draft. But if it's only five rounds, how does this impact a rebuilding team like Detroit? And we'll throw in Kansas City as well in the American League Central because they have the fourth overall pick. How do you think this impacts these rebuilding teams that we're hoping to get 15, maybe 20 high talented players from this upcoming draft when they now only have five rounds before they have to start recruiting other college and high school players with this $20,000 signing bonus? Yeah, it's it's a blow. It's it's a really big blow, not only to the plans of the rebuilding teams, but also to so many of the college players. Um, I spoke with um, an NCAA coach the other day who reached out to me about it, and he expressed his concern, and he said, honestly, it's heartbreaking. He goes, you're going to see a lot of college seniors whose careers are done because of this. Maybe, you know, they would generally be in the top 10 rounds or top 15 rounds, and all of a sudden their chances are out the window because of this. And so a lot of people, again, are going to be impacted by it. Um, obviously a team like Detroit looks to these opportunities to sort of add to the stockpile. And one of the biggest unfortunate things, in my opinion, like you said, is how deep this draft class is. This is one of the top classes I can remember in a long time. And now to have it limited to five rounds, it's, it's going to require a lot of creativity going to require a lot of trust with these guys and their scouts and then just say look this is what we've been given to work with and we've got to make the best of that even if they expanded to 10 rounds i'm in the belief that i don't think that really makes that big of a difference because you're still going to have to go across the country assign a bunch of guys for twenty thousand dollar deals to fill the holes that you have in the minor league level uh, as there's rosters roster churn for those levels uh, and as you mentioned, as far as the college seniors, this upcoming later on Monday, the NCAA Division I schools are going to meet and hopefully have an agreement on what they're going to decide for those players on if they get an extra year of eligibility. And if they do, do they get do those programs get additional scholarships or do they get some type of roster expansion? Because you have all these freshman players uh, that are also coming as well. So college seniors are, are in a terrible spot. I, I know you have been. You've been trying to be positive, Emily. So let's try to end on an optimistic point of view. When do you think baseball will return in 2020? That is an excellent question. If I had to shoot from the hip, and this this kind of ties in reconditioning process that I believe is going to need to take place for these guys to get their bodies back in shape, back on track, get back in that on-field routine, I'm going to go with July. I think that that is probably the most realistic, again, if at all. I obviously do try to stay positive on it, but just considering the the current circumstances, I think we're looking at likely July. All right. Well, I hope so, because in Chicago, July is an awesome time to be in the city and be great to have some baseball to go with it. And hopefully we do not have a stay at home order because I don't know about you, Emily, but I'm getting stir crazy. We're not even April yet. So, uh, we need baseball back. Uh, but you can follow Emily on Twitter. She's at Emily C. Walden. Uh, 
Also, there is a shirt on RotoWare. Uh, it's called Backfields. I love the t-shirt designs, and the proceeds will help advocates for minor leaguers. I think you're helping as far as you know promote that brand as well as a, that's another opportunity for fans to help out the minor leaguers. Uh, we have the link on the podcast page at SoxMachine.com if you'd like to purchase one. And you should follow Emily anyways because when it comes to telling stories of the minor leagues and the prospects, I don't think there is anyone that's better at it right now. And you can read her work on The Athletic and Baseball America. And Emily, I mean this in a good way. But bless your heart for going out of your way and helping minor league players. If it wasn't for your efforts, I feel like the game would just forget about these guys. And we really appreciate you taking the time to join us on the Sox Machine Podcast. Absolutely. It was a pleasure. I appreciate the time. Coming up next, it's your questions in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox. We submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Sox Machine. Or help you support the site and the show by becoming a friend at patreon.com slash Machine. And I'm rejoined on the podcast with Jim Margulis as he'll answer your guys' questions this week. And Jim, our first question in P.O. Socks comes from Andrew Siegel. And Andrew's asking, assuming a season happens, how do the White Sox maximize the wildness of a shorter season? Do you think Michael Kopech, Nick Magical, and Carlos Rodon play as soon as they are able to? Yeah, I think when you have a shortened season, it's basically all hands on deck. And, you know, there might be the same opening day considerations um, that we talked about you know, prior to the coronavirus. Um, you know, does Michael Kopech start a couple games in AAA to get his sea legs? Does, um, you know, Nick Magical start at second or does Danny Mendick? Um, you know, that might be the case too, where, you know, where, even for a couple weeks in July or April, it, there's not much of a difference between the two. And so you can start magical and AAA. But I think when you're talking about Carlos Rodon, who is going to be, um, you know, a big part of basically as soon as he's healthy, he's going to be pitching innings for the White Sox one way or another until he hits free agency. That's a case where, yeah, bring him in and maybe, you know, have him start three innings instead of five. If you have these expanded rosters and just go nuts. But, uh, you know, if Michael Kopech, yeah, say Gio Gonzalez has the shoulder thing and isn't ready, and Michael Kopech does look like one of the top five starters as soon as like a week into the season, then yeah, just bring him up because uh, Dan Simborski wrote about it at Fangraphs talking about just what kind of difference a shortened season makes you know, between 81-game season and 162 games for playoff odds. The White Sox postseason odds basically double. Um, going from uh, 162 games to 81 just because of a smaller sample, because of uh, just uh, crazy things can happen when you don't have so many games to test a team's depth. Uh, for the Twins, they're in the opposite situation for where they lose 20% of their postseason odds. Um, you know, as bad as this seems for the White Sox, and I've seen uh, a lot of White Sox fans bemoaning the fact that uh, just as the White Sox are getting interesting, that, of course, the pandemic happens and cancel the season. But I'd rather be the White Sox than the Twins just because uh, this would be way more frustrating if the White Sox were runaway uh, AL Central favorites and possibly a World Series contender. 
uh, versus being a team that projects to be third place in the central. <laughs> that's a uh, that's a season you can afford to lose, especially if you're looking to add the following year. Uh, this this is a, a season I think uh, it's got to be really terrible for Twins fans. So yeah, if they do manage to come back to a length of season that where they can simulate or at least pretend that it's a real season, just half the length, uh, then yeah, it's all all systems go, all hands on deck, and just uh, try to win every single game possible because uh, every single game will count. Yeah, I mean, Cleveland would also get Mike Clevenger back, right? Because he was going to miss the beginning part of the season due to a knee injury. Mm-hmm. Elsewhere in the American League, I mean, Justin Verlander was going to miss the first two months of the season. And now if we if it, if it happens on what we were talked about at the beginning part of the show, that Major League Baseball comes back late June, early July – well, all of a sudden, the Houston Astros get Justin Verlander back, and that makes him a lot stronger. Where that pitching rotation be pretty suspect in the first two months of the season, uh, so that spells some bad news for the American League West teams. I think the Yankees would get James Paxton back, so that obviously helps the New York Yankees, in which they're obviously uber talented, but they were facing uh, some pretty significant injuries. I just think. I understand what Zips is saying as far as playoff odds and trying to project on how a season would work for 81 games. But other than the injuries, I really cannot say with any confidence, Jim, on how a 81 season, 81 game season would go in Major League Baseball for any team. Like, I, I just I, I yeah. just can't fathom on how because, you know, there's a lot of people on Twitter that are asking, would this be a good thing for the White Sox? I have no idea because while they have added veterans, they are still counting on Luis Robert to play a significant role this season, and he's got a learning curve. So it really Mm -hmm. depends on how quickly Luis Robert adjusts to Major League Pitching because... Although no cold weather games. That is true. No cold weather games. That is a good point. But if it takes him half a season, if it takes him 40 games to adjust, well, you only have 40 more games left to go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it would just, it would require in what teams have the hot start. You know, because we always say you can't win the division in April, but you can lose it because you can climb, you can dig yourself a pretty big hole where it's just really hard to climb out of. In an 81 game season, yeah, that first month might be super critical, Jim. Because uh, if you find yourself 10 games back of first place after the first month of the season, there's just not enough games for you to make up that ground. Yeah, and, and probably with situations like, say, like a Clevenger situation or Paxton or you know whatever injuries you're dealing with, you just might not want to push a guy too hard if you're you know facing an early double-digit deficit you know within the first, you know, six weeks of the season, I think you probably just say, all right, this season is, uh, is a farce. Let's, uh, just, uh, yeah, wrap some guys up in uh, bubble wrap, um, set them aside till 2021, just get some young guys involved to get them some run up, you know, treat it like a practice season. And then, uh, you know, just assume that 2021 is the resumption of real baseball. Right. But Andrew, it's a great question. It's something that I constantly think of. And from my perspective, I mean, Jim hit it on the head as far as how to maximize the wildness, but what would that outcome be? Is that a positive for the White Sox or a negative? And I can't say with any confidence for either, but I can't say it for any other team. It's just that some teams had some pretty significant injuries on the pitching front, and they'll get those guys back. 
uh, if it is truly just an 81 game season. But Andrew, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Jimbo Mahalovich, who is just a recent contestant on nine innings. And Jimbo's asking, Jim, since it seems like the agreement included a year of service time, regardless of games being played in 2020, would Michael Kopech's control be a wash since they optioned him to AAA and he would not be getting enough Major League Baseball roster time this year to accrue a season? That's one thing, you know, reading the explainer on ESPN that was unclear. You know, they talked about service time and, and how, you know, players like in Mookie Betts' situation would get a credit for a full year. Um, there's when it came to like, say, service time for the season um, and, and how like players who are promoted, how that would count. I would assume it's prorated. They talked about prorated salaries and, you know, players receiving, you know, the percentage of their salary based on the percentage of games played. Um and so I would guess like the same thing would apply to service time that team, you know, players can earn 172 days worth of service time for a season. That's only like 81 games long. And if a player is promoted like midway through, like say, let's just use a hundred game season just for a nice, you know, even denominator. But I guess like if you're looking at a, a full season being 172 days and the season, a hundred days long, then I imagine like every day is worth 1.72 days of service time just to make the math work. And if that's the case, then, you know, maybe depending on what time they call it Michael Kopech, that even if he does get credit for that full year of service time um, or, or, or credit for earning it based on the way uh, he was technically earning it the year before, even while recovering from Tommy John surgery, that, um, you know, he might get the, uh, he might continue earning full years and so forth. But for a case like, you know, Nick Madrigal, who, you know, would have to miss, um, you know, a few weeks of the season in order to be called up and be a part of the uh, uh, 25 man or 26 man roster without uh, earning a full year of service time to gain the extra year of control that I imagine would be harder for him to gain that extra year just because, you know, earning that full year of service time means having to play basically all the games of the season. If every game missed is 1.72 days of service time missed, you know, that's really only a couple weeks he would have to be off the roster if that um, based on the way the math works. So yeah, it's going to be tough for, I think guys in magical situation to, uh, earn that full year. Um, however, on, when you look at 2021 we're talking about the virus and just, you know, the case where they don't know if it's going to flare up again, the following year seasonality, um, you know, whether a, a vaccine will be, um, both developed and distributed in time to make large gatherings in, in, you know, some measure of travel feel feasible, to where, you know, if there is service time concern, maybe don't really worry about it because the following year could be truncated too. So, uh, and, and I, I think this proved, uh, you know, when you're looking at the White Sox and, and trying to line things up for 2020 and holding guys in the majors, that, you know, weird stuff happens when you suppress service time. And and things don't always go the way you plan and, and line it up, even if uh, it's out of your control. So, I'm hoping that, you know, going forward, if the White Sox trying to maximize the window whenever uh, baseball resumes, that service time becomes less of a factor, both because, uh, you know, we've never been big fans of it, but also this proves just how fragile um, 
trying to line all these things up is. You know, it's one thing to get extensions and so forth that make service time moot, but now that they have all these core pieces in place, they really shouldn't worry about it. If Andrew Vaughn looks like somebody to bring up, you know, during this, you know, say 81 game season, if he looks like a uh, one of your nine best hitters, bring him up. Who cares? Uh, they have everybody else extended. They can make it work. So that's how I look at it. Well, Jimbo, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Ezin Rec. And because there's so many replay of games that are going on, especially Mark Burley's perfect game has been played multiple times in the past week. As in Rec is asking, Jim, what classic White Sox game would you like MLB Network or even NBC Sports Chicago to rerun? Uh, the game I think I would like to see, because, you know, uh, I've seen Burley's perfect game a bunch of times. I've seen the 2005 games a bunch of times. The games uh, I, I think I'm most interested in are the ones that you know are largely forgotten about i think in my era of writing about the white Sox, i would like may 25th 2008 which was the sunday night baseball games at white Sox angels where carlos quentin basically ruined john lackey that was one of my favorite games favorite broadcast you know big crowd um you know john miller on the mic uh carlos quentin just going nuts and carlos quentin's best year and, and most memorable stretch of being an impact player. And I would like to see that game again. See, I brought this, I brought the box score up. Yeah. He went three for three, three RBIs. He had the two home walk off Homer, right? If I remember correctly. Yep. yep. Drove in all three runs, three to two. He was responsible for all three runs. The Carlos Quinton game. Yeah. Jose Contreras, eight innings pitched, only allowed two earned runs, 10 strikeouts, no walks. Wow. They had bored John Lackey. What a tough loss that was. Eight innings, six hits allowed, three earned runs, all to Carlos Quinton. <laughs> three strikeouts and one walk. Wow, that's a that's not a lot of strikeouts for a complete game. Man, Contreras was on point in that game. Ten strikeouts and no walks. And the game time was two hours and five minutes. Yep. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that lineup. Orlando Cabrera, leadoff. Quinton, Die, Tommy, Creedy, Swisher, good old Brian Anderson batting eighth in center field. Oh, yeah, there's some names in the Angels lineup. Remember Brandon Wood and how he was an Uber prospect at one time? Yep. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, there's some names. Gary Matthews, that's right. I forgot about Gary Matthews Jr. signing with the Angels that season. Yeah, that, that would be a fun one. Okay, so for me, and uh, I was born in November of 1984. Uh, so I obviously have no memory of the 83 White Sox. I think I would enjoy watching the replay of September 17th, 1983, which is the game that the White Sox clinched the American League West. And I bring that up because the end of that game got crazy. Uh, 45,646 fans were at the original Comiskey Park. So for starters, that would be cool to watch a televised game of that many people at a White Sox game. Uh, but Harold Baines had the uh, go-ahead homer in the bottom of the eighth inning, and then Seattle scores two in the ninth to tie it, and then Harold Baines comes back in the bottom of the ninth inning with the sacrifice fly uh, to win the game. I think I yeah. would I would enjoy that game, just to kind of watch an, an 80s type of baseball broadcast and – also a little bit of history on when the White Sox clinched the American League West, which was the first time they're going to be going to the postseason 
since 1959, and they did it in walk-off mm-hmm. fashion in front of 45,000. Yep. No, that's that's a very good choice. And, you know, thinking about it and just the kind of game I would like to see, and I'm guessing that I would be in the minority here and it would be great ratings to, like, call up a random game from 1986 or 79 or whatever, but just the game, you know, like, say if there's somebody around the White Sox who remembers some kind of crazy game from one of those seasons, otherwise forgettable, like say the Carlos Quinton game, although 2008 they made the playoffs, but just, you know, random game, like I'm thinking of the game, White, Yankees-White Sox game from 07 I saw where uh, the White Sox scored eight runs in the top of the second and the Yankees scored eight runs in the bottom of the second. Just these random memorable games from otherwise unremarkable seasons. I'd love to see, you know, say like on Comcast or streaming on Twitter or where, whatever, the White Sox just call up one of these games and say like, this is like an editor's choice. We're not going to tell you why. Don't look it up. Um, you know, you're not going to know it by the date alone or the year alone. You're just going to see some crazy stuff happen. Uh, don't spoil it for you. You can spoil it for yourself if you want to, but otherwise just let it unfold like an actual game and pay attention and see why we picked this one. See if you can determine hmm. why. Okay. You know, that this would be a good Chris Kamka type of project. Well, I think, you know, even beyond camp, I think it would be somebody like, say, like who was, you know, White Sox have enough longtime employees or former players, you know, hanging around to where they can say like, oh, this game, I'll never forget this game. This game was nuts. You know, Steve Stone, I'm sure Stone back in uh, 77 could probably think of some some crazy games. Or Hawk. Yeah, like Hawk's choice. You know, if if, you know, he could... Uh, you know, cause he repeated himself a lot by the end, but you know, if he can, uh, filter back to like, say the, you know, pre Frank Thomas era and just say, this game was nuts. You were going to tell, we're not going to tell you why no spoilers. And that way you watch it with the semblance, you know, it's not, you know, obviously the game's historical, so you're not going to, you know, be jumping out of your chair to celebrate stuff. That would be a little bit insane, but <laughs> you would watch it with the interest of not knowing exactly why you're watching it. Just like you don't, you know, why you're watching any, you know, you might know why you're watching a game while you tune in, but by the end of it, the reason for watching it or remembering it might be completely different from the notion you had when you went into it. And I think if you're dealing with a full season of no baseball, which I think, uh, you know, leagues and teams aren't willing to admit yet that they might have to vary up their programming. And I wouldn't mind seeing them go into the weeds to where they have to bring up these games. I think, you know, there are some random games from the eighties on uh, YouTube and I think I'm going to watch them. You know, I, I have a couple projects in mind, whether watching it just to be surprised and not know how a game ends and see how it looks, or maybe just go inning by inning and just see what's changed about the game and, you know, write in depth about just broadcasts and, hitting styles and just, you know, strategies and everything like that. You know, I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to watch some of these games without looking up why I'm watching them and just see what surprises me, because I think that's basically as close as we're going to get to actually having real games. So speaking of that last point, Jim Callis, you know, one of our best friends of the show, Mm -hmm. uh, he was looking back at old scouting reports and the stuff that he was writing in the nineties was kind of funny that this hitter struggles with, high 80s fastballs up in the zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely not a problem today. If you're throwing if you're throwing high 80 fastballs up in the zone, they are going very far in today's game. Just on how much uh the game of baseball has changed in the last 25 to 30 years. <laughs> Another random game uh is the Tadahito Aguchi game. I would love to watch that game again. Another Sunday nighter. Another Sunday nighter. Where, I mean, he saved that game for the White. Unfortunately, they lost the game. 
uh, in the 13th Yeah, my inning. favorite loss, though. That's uh, my favorite loss. And, and uh, it really didn't matter after he tied it up what, what happened. That game was locked no. in my memory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, especially the year after the World Series. And I'm sure Astros fans were very happy. They were up 9-1 to one going to the seventh inning. And then Tadahito Aguchi, baby. And the eighth and ninth. It just the, that it for me in the last 15 years is one of the craziest performances and back-to-back innings for any White Sox player to hit a three run Homer. And then the next inning to hit a grand slam with two outs to tie the game in the ninth inning. I mean, as far as back-to-back plate appearances, that's pretty good. There's the Tyler flowers game though, right? Where he tied the game. Then he hit the walk-off Homer. Yep. Yeah. So that's another one, just random, <laughs> random performances. But this is a great question. I think I, if I sit down and think about it more as a direct, there are, there are others that I could think of. But it would be great to hear everyone else's thoughts in the comments section on the podcast post on SoxMachine.com. So let us know what other classic White Sox games you would like to watch because uh, – I love the Mark Burley perfect game. There's a lot of nuances and things that pop up like, oh, my God, this lineup was terrible for Mark (laughs) Burley. But Josh Fields had a grand slam. Uh, And Gabe Kapler made some awesome catches in right field for the Tampa Bay Rays uh, in that game. But it's been played like five or six times in the past week. So it'd be, it'd be nice to, to watch other games from other eras as well. And I really like your idea, Jim, just we're going to play this random game and then you'll figure out why we're playing this game later on. But as in rec, terrific question. Thank you so much for submitting it. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week in PO socks. We greatly appreciate it. If you have a question or topic that you would like us to answer in an upcoming episode of the Socks Machine podcast, again, follow us on Twitter. We are at Socks Machine and also help support the site and the show at patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And I keep poking Jim about this. Uh, if you've been listening to the recent episodes of the Socks Machine podcast, if he has any announcements to make for our Patreon supporters and for the people that go to SoxMachine.com daily. Do you have any announcements this week for them, Jim? Yes. Well, you can visit SoxMachine.com. By the time this is out, the site will look different. We've been working on a redesign for a few months and that redesign is upon us. And I'll explain post why we are redesigning it, um, you know, for the, the specific features the site will have, assuming uh, games are ever played again but uh you know beyond that um also decided to redesign the site because I, <laughs> this seemed like a uh a better idea and more exciting announcements uh, a few months ago but i you know moving to nashville and having the opportunity i am i intend to make socks machine my uh full-time pursuit for the foreseeable future so uh i i anticipate when i made that decision i anticipated having like games to cover and minor league trips to make and uh just a lot of uh you know ways i can use the time and a lot of things to write about and so forth now you know i'll have that time to try to entertain you so at least there's that but uh yeah this will be a full-time gig for me however it shakes out and you can read more about it on socks machine very exciting stuff and i want to give a shout out to billy okay uh billy has done tremendous work for us yep 
giving us the, the look of Sox Machine and everything that he does for us. It, it always looks great. So, Billy, if you're listening, thank you so much for your help again. And uh, I think you guys are really going to enjoy the redesign of SoxMachine.com. I'm excited and uh, I am excited that you're doing this full-time, Jim. And uh, if you'd like us both to do this full-time, again, go to patreon.com slash SoxMachine uh, to sign up today to help support the site and the show because of your guys' additional support. It does help in our efforts for Jim to do this full-time and for redesign projects at SoxMachine.com where we can bring you as far as a better site and as far as more content coming your guys's way, as always, we greatly, greatly appreciate your guys' support, but that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. I want to thank everyone very much for listening. Also tune in to nine innings, our new Sox machine game show. Uh, we've getting, we, we, we have been getting very good feedback and it's great to hear that so many of you have enjoyed our new podcast, so you'll be able to tune into new game shows every Friday while we continue to entertain you guys until games do come back. So for those that have been asking what's going to happen with the podcast, we'll try to have this show more frequently uh, as there's some really good baseball books on the horizon that are being published and we'll bring those authors on the show and interview them and talk about their books and also provide any other updates that are happy with Major League Baseball. But we do have the new game show as well, Nine Innings. That'll be coming out to you guys weekly until games do return. And I've been enjoying that. And, and that's the, uh, you know, Given that we are are talking for most of the show, that I generally know what's going to be on the podcast every week, but these podcasts, yeah, the nine innings, are a complete surprise to me. So I go in cold, and yeah, I'm enjoying it. All right, well, that's good because you are the executive producer of the shows. Yep. <laughs> so I, I am glad that you are enjoying them, and uh, yeah, we'll continue to do them. Uh, it's been fun producing them, and a big shout out to Ted Mulvey. Uh, who writes the Saturday Sporacles. So if you get frustrated with those and uh, if you think the questions in nine innings have been tough on the contestants, you can blame him because he's writing the questions. Uh, so it's, it's been a very fun time. But you can subscribe to the Songs Machine podcast and get both shows on your podcast feed wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and audioboom.com slash Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.